Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, Jan Navruzzi and Giles Gale. Before getting into today's discussion, I just wanted to remind you to hit the like button and don't forget to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Okay, a big week of central bank speak this week. Well, central bank meetings rather, not central bank speak. Uh, So let's kick off with the Fed. We're recording this on Thursday, so just after the Bank of England and the Fed. Um, But we'll go in chronological order uh, and we'll start with the Fed. Uh, So Jan, what did we learn and what what were the key takeaways from, from last night's Fed meeting? We learned a lot. It was a highly anticipated, highly anticipated meeting. A lot of wide uh, possibilities of outcomes that we could have had. And we got something that fell on the more hawkish side of, of expectations. So let me start with the, what was widely expected. We got a 25 basis point increase in, in the interest rates. So liftoff has officially commenced. There wasn't a 50 basis point hike, which was pretty much expected going to the meeting. But the chair didn't really rule out a 50 basis point later on in the year. And that is key, we think, because if inflationary pressure is maintained, they're likely to resort to one of those outsized hikes. Uh, and there was only one dissenter, St. Louis Fed's uh, Jim Bullard, who wanted a 50 basis point uh, hike at this meeting, even though he had previously mentioned that he would go along with what the chair says. Uh, he was also on record saying that he wants 100 bips in the bag by July. So for him to achieve, achieve that, he wouldn't need a uh, higher increment. The real hawkish surprise, however, came from the so-called median dots. Every quarter, the FOMC uh, members, they will send out their forecasts uh, for interest rate expectations and additional economic forecasts. And the median of those uh, get compiled into the dots. And the 2022 median forecast now shows 1.875%. And just as a reference, that was 0.375%, so 150 basis points higher than in December, which implies a 25 basis point hike at every single meeting until the end of the year. The 2023 median dot was increased to 2.75%, which shows another three and a half hikes next year. And that's the same for 2024, while the long run estimate was brought down to 2.375 from two and a half which pretty much says next year we're going to be in restrictive territory uh, with interest rates. And it is, you know, it, it is an interesting point. We're not reading too much into why they lowered the wrong, wrong run estimate, but they're aware that there might be you know, some structural issues with tightening super fast, or at least not, maybe not super fast in historical context, but over the last decade or so, uh, it, it seems really fast. In addition to the interest rate forecasts, like I mentioned, we got the economic uh, projections, and they were also changed quite significantly, particularly for 2022. The particularly in the in the inflation side, the core PC, which is the Fed's preferred gauge, uh, was raised by 1.4 percentage points from 2.7 to 4.1. That is a that's an incredibly huge jump for for the near term inflation expectations. Uh, we also share that concern, of course, given the tight labor markets, rising wages high commodity prices and well add to the list of you know inflationary pressures that are emerging uh, every single day now and also they increased the they sorry they, they decreased their gdp expectations by 1.2 percent for this year from four to 2.8 percent again another sharp drop sharp drop while unemployment was kept at three and a half percent and the reason i'm kind of digging into these uh, forecasts is not so much that they always make these changes but 
taking into account and keeping into my, in mind that they show seven hikes for this year and still have inflation that high is a quite dramatic shift in the, in the economic outlook. So taking all that together then, how does that leave our own, um, I guess, outlook for, for what we really expect policy to be by, by, for the rest of the year and, and beyond? So for, for the rest of this year, we are now in line with the dots. We expect six more hikes for a total of seven this year. We see four more into 2023 and two more into 2024. Uh, I'm talking about traditional 25 basis point hikes. Of course, 2024 seems so far away now, but we still assume that the economy will be able to hold and uh, kind of they, the Fed will be able to continue going into restrictive territory, which you know, if the economy does hold, suddenly restrictive territory could become not so restrictive after they lift their long run estimates. So, so from today's perspective, we see that continuing. Our call was for QT to be announced in May. We didn't quite get the addendum at this meeting, but now we have a higher conviction that it will be announced in May and uh, alongside the addendum. For one, the chair said it will look very familiar to what we got last time. And remember in 2017, before they announced quantitative tightening, it was about two meetings where they released the so-called addendum, which had the details of how they plan to uh, establish a cap on treasuries or mortgage-based securities that they're willing to let run off from the balance sheet. And now they don't really have to give us that much uh, notice because we've already been through that. The markets have been conditioned. They know exactly what to expect, which is going to be more or less the same statement, numbers, almost multiplied by two. And you know we're kicking off from June is will be enough to say. They could have announced, I think, at the March meeting, but two reasons why I don't think they did. First, they don't want, they have been very adamant that uh, interest rate policy is their main method of influencing uh, monetary policy. So they wouldn't want to put do them at the same time, lift off, balance sheet normalization, more liftoffs. And second, they probably knew that the market was already going to tighten financial conditions just from the forecast that they would submit with the dots uh, and the market exactly did that. So uh, they didn't need to add more pressure to that at this specific meeting. But next meeting, we have high conviction that it, uh, we're going to get the balance sheet rundown plans. And in terms of market impact then, I mean, yesterday we got, um, you know, higher front end rates as, as you would expect from a, a more hawkish than expected um, central bank meeting. But then further out the curve, you know, at the long end, we saw um, a fairly significant flattening and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that long end yields finished the day lower than they started. So how are we thinking about, I guess, the outright direction of travel of, of say, 10 year yields from here, but also the, the shape of the curve? All right, so going to the meeting, we we had a short August Fed funds contract that's kind of like a core view in anticipation of a, of a hawkish FOMC, increased the odds of a, of a 50 basis point being signaled over the next or the subsequent meetings, not this one. The trade has performed well, and we're still sticking to it. Given the balance of risks, we think everything has shifted to a higher likelihood of, uh, of 50 basis points as opposed to you know, not 50 basis points. So we could see market pricing in it. Whether we get that delivered is a different issue, but we should see more of those pressures uh, if we're right in our assessment. As from, from flatteners, yes, structurally they still make sense, but forwards are already pointing towards decent levels of inversion, not so far in the future. If you look at things like twos, fives and six months forwards, they're already 
inverted close to eight basis points was this morning. So our conviction there is much lower, whether you know, the, the curve will flatten as a function of uh, rates rolling down, but I don't know if we'll be able to beat the forwards. They could, just the risk reward doesn't seem that attractive anymore. Um, but, it, and, and I'm talking about things like two stands, five thirties, where the front end is really, uh, you know, the front end will do a lot of heavy lifting and it's hard to say what will happen uh, with the back end of the curve. And similarly, being short duration is aligned with our view for the Fed, also aligned with our view on the economy. But I think what we're going to see now is a little bit of front loading of our estimates. So uh, we had a view of like the short uh, belly view. Now that might kind of shift a little bit to the front end of the curve as the Fed decides to react a little bit more aggressively. Because there are scenarios where the Fed you know, sees more pressure coming up. The, the Ukraine crisis is not helping. The new set of lockdowns in China are not helping inflation. There's going to be more supply chain pressures. Uh, we could argue if it's a demand or supply driven, but it's it's hard to say that there are no supply chain driven pressures still. So they might have the urgency to react. And I just cannot discard a scenario where they do something like 50, 50, 50 June, uh, you know, like June, July, and after that too. So I think it falls in September. But uh, uh, and then and then they slow down again. So if they do something like that, obviously the the very front end of the curve will take the hit, and we could even start pricing uh, kind of like a recessionary type inversions. Of course, a recession, uh, sorry, an inversion itself doesn't lead to a recession, but that's what the market would do. Just questioning, can the economy hold it? And if they can, it's not a discussion for today, but later on the year we could be discussing kind of like the rare bear, uh, bear steepener if the economy manages to hold on to a kind of like a restrictive Fed. So, but that's, let's leave that for the second half of the year. For now, we stick to short duration views, kind of like increased probability of 50 basis point hike. So kind of remaining short in the, call like August Fed funds. And uh, we're, we're going to scale our shorts more into like twos. Great, that makes sense. Thanks, John. Right. Okay. So this is a great day for podcast <laughs> listeners uh, who really like listening to Imogen, because what we're going to do now is turn this around on the <laughs> presenter and get her to talk about the Bank of England, because that was the other big one this week. And uh, Imogen's been watching it very carefully. Um, so you know, I guess markets were expecting some probability of a 50 basis point hike. That did not happen. Maybe you can just talk us through a little bit the decision. Yeah, like you say, markets were um, positioned for at least some chance of a 50 basis point hike at this meeting, although I, I really think 25 was, was probably the strong consensus. But it did feel like in the run up to the meeting that um, risks were skewed to the hawkish side in terms of the votes. Um, and what we actually had delivered was, um, well, A, the 25, not the 50 basis point hike, but B, a slightly more dovish vote in that the only descending, dissenting vote was um, by Cunliffe in favour of keeping rates up. 50 basis points rather than raising them to 75 basis points. Um, now, I guess he's viewed as one of the more dovish members of the MPC, but probably also quite consensual. And therefore, the fact that he is, you know, opting to keep rates on hold this time is probably indicative of the fact that the Bank of England may be thinking about this more hawkishly um, at the moment and certainly, sorry, more cautiously, not more hawkishly, uh, and certainly more cautiously than um, the ECB and the Fed appear to be. Um, there was another slightly dovish element in the um, monetary policy statement in that they changed the language around what uh, more time 
tightening might be needed versus the Fed meeting. So um, in February, they said um, uh, monetary policy uh, tightening likely to be appropriate in the coming months, whereas at this meeting they said may be appropriate in the coming months. So they've just kind of lightened up, I suppose, on on, um, how much more tightening we, we might expect for the rest of the year. Okay, and so thinking about the rest of the year, then, um, you know, how do you think that this sets us up? Uh, you know, what do you think the, the market profile? Um, you know, how, how does that look like compared to with what you're thinking? Yeah, well, this meeting didn't really change our assessment, I suppose, which is in line with the the Bank of England's thinking as well from the last monetary policy report that um, rates would probably need to rise to around one or one and a quarter percent this year to kind of um, reach their inflation target over the forecast horizon. So we still have um, another 25 basis point hike penciled in for the May meeting and then an additional one um, in the August meeting. I think probably as we get closer closer to that kind of, you know, 1% or one and a quarter percent, then um, the Bank of England may kind of approach those additional hikes with more caution um, and perhaps might use, um, I guess, the justification of monetary policy reports to to recalibrate um, policy at at those meetings. So therefore, we think a hike in May and then potentially a pause in June before an additional hike in August, which would take them to to one and a quarter percent. as for how that compares with market pricing, I mean, we've had a fairly significant repricing today after the meeting, you know, probably around, as we're recording, around 15 basis points of hikes have, have been priced out by August. Um, but given how hawkishly the market was priced, then I still think there's further to go. You know, si- well, since I left the desk to record this, market still had um, three full 25 basis point hikes priced in by August. Uh, and we think there's really only likely to be two more. So there's a good kind of 20 basis points of upside just out till August and then the market had an additional hike at least priced in um, beyond that so although we have seen some repricing of the front end I think there's still um, quite a lot further to go. Okay um, right so outside of the Bank of England next week we have the budget statement and now you've been thinking about what that might mean for the remit I mean it looks like there are lots of calls for big drop in guilt issuance Uh, what are you thinking? Yeah, well, I think really the main takeaway for markets from our perspective is just that that drop might not be as big as expected. You know, the borrowing since the October budget has come in much um, lower than expected. So essentially, the DMO are kind of overfunded by about 30 billion in gilts because they haven't adjusted the remit for those um, lower borrowing numbers since October. But actually, you know, with inflation being significantly higher than it was um, and there's you know still very high uncertainty around that inflation outlook I think that um, you know we can get additional costs in terms of debt servicing but also I guess financial transfers to try and limit the kind of pass-through of that um, high uh, cost of living um, and also rise in public sector wages as well so actually I think the drop in the um, uh, in the central government net cash requirement, which is the number that, that we use for to form the basis of, of guilt issuance for the year ahead, won't be as big as as markets are expecting. You know, we pencil that in to be about 100 billion, whereas in the um, October budget it was just 107 billion. 
Um, so yes, there will be less gilts next year. You know, we pencil in a step down of about 37 billion, but that's just not as big as you might have expected just looking at, at the October budget. All right, so let me uh, press you for a bottom line on what you think this means for, for long-term rates in, in the UK. We've already talked quite a bit about the front end. Yeah, I mean, our view is that long-term rates in the UK should continue to rise. I think the, the kind of dovish reaction today at the long end of the curve is a bit of a fade, and actually we should continue, continue to see um, uh, higher gilt yields in this kind of globally rising rate environment where we have a year-end target now of 1.8% on 10-year gilts. Um, and obviously the kind of uh, less than expected drop down in, in supply numbers next week should add to those bearish pressures. That said, I do think that gilts can um, outperform on a cross-market basis, particularly versus Europe. Um, they've been um, underperforming of late. And I think that the supply picture in particular, once you net off, um, I guess, APF uh, or the no APF purchases in in um, the UK and, and Eurosystem purchases um, in Europe, that kind of delta between last year and this year is much more negative for, for European fixed income than it is um, for uh, the long end of the UK curve. Okay, I'll just, I'll, I'm just going to interject there very, very quickly. Just I'm sure that listeners all realise this, but uh, the APF is what we call quantitative easing basically in the UK. <laughs> yeah um, thank you that's true. One, one small point of jargon okay <laughs> that's true sorry I forgot that and with that I guess that gives me the perfect segue to pass back to you Giles then on what we're thinking about Europe because we obviously had um the uh, ECB meeting last week which was much more hawkish than expected um we did catch up on Boncast after that meeting um but since then, we've also had the um, ECB Watchers Conference, which is going on today. It's still ongoing, but is there anything that we've learned from the speakers this morning, I guess, um, Lagarde and Lane, most importantly, that um, I guess adds to, to what we heard from last week? Well, I think the short answer is not a lot, no. Um, I mean, you know, there was some, I mean, discussion, I suppose, I mean, you, know, you can always draw out the things that you want to emphasize from, from what is a whole day of discussion. Now, I mean, I, I would just go back to this, um, this change in the forward guidance, uh, where you know, what does sometime mean, where that is the, the phrase that's used to link this end for quantitative easing to the start of rate hikes. And you know, I think the emphasis there was as we discussed last week, and unsurprisingly, in my opinion, nonetheless, not necessarily the way that everybody chose to interpret it at the time, um, that that is really you know, trying to open up flexibility to take longer rather than less time to um, to, 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 to raise rates. And so, you know, I think over and, and just generally, there seemed to be a little bit more emphasis on on the downside risks um, uh, overall, and so I take away from that uh, a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, I mean, we already have pretty high confidence, to be honest with you. But yeah, certainly it seems like you know our, <laughs> our high level of confidence is tracking well through all of this. That uh, the ECB will not be as aggressive as the market is um, is expecting in terms of rate hikes for this year. And you know, I say that knowing that at the same time we had Arch Hawk um, 
And Clara's not talking about well, refusing pointedly, refusing to rule out two rate hikes for this year. But two rate hikes is essentially what the market has been pricing in. So yeah, I think that that is really what, I mean, that's your, that's your hurdle. And I think the skew of risks is very much in favor of being long that very front end. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that those are my main two takeaways. What about further out the curve then? I guess, you know, the main uh, announcement at last week's ECB meeting was that the taper would be much faster this year than we were expecting. And I kind of alluded to it in what I was saying around this kind of supply picture net of Eurosystem purchases. Um, but with the ECB stepping away, um, in any case, our baseline was for a pretty much unchanged supply picture this year. But I guess risks to that are now to the upside, given that there may need to be some um, fiscal support um, with uh, the latest um, Ukraine crisis. So. How are you thinking, I guess, about the demand and supply picture of European government bonds um, for the rest of this year? And, and who do you expect to step in to really plug the gap that, that the ECB will be leaving behind? Well, this is the fundamental question of the day, of course. And you know, I think that there is a view out there that supply just doesn't matter. And, you know, and therefore quantitative easing in a sense sort of doesn't matter. It's all about the signaling impact. And you know, so people go back and they look at what happened in previous cycles with the Fed and the Bank of England. And you could, it is very difficult to, to really establish any kind of clear link between you know, the end of quantitative easing and any rise in interest rates. More often than not, in fact, you see the opposite. Um, I don't think that that's what we're going to see in Europe. I think that Euro in, in Europe, quantitative easing was a much bigger deal. Um, it's been going on for, for longer, amongst other things. You know, it, it, it gets into a lot of areas where, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I think you might question, you know, in, in the UK, the US, it's, it's a little bit more questionable. So, and, and no, I mean, the swing, in terms of you know, where we were last year, massive deficit in terms of um, total bonds coming uh, com coming into the market, to actually quite a big surplus is is really it's really very big. It's uh, you know, I mean optim you know, at, at the most kind of optimistic, depending on your perspective. I mean you're the sort of most bond bullish, if you like, you know, rates bullish anyway. You know, we're talking about half a trillion, you know, five hundred billion more bonds coming and you know, being, being made available sort of to the private um, or you know, not being taken away from uh, the, the private sector. Um, and it could well be on the upside. I mean, you've just been talking about the UK public finances you know, for, for many of the same reasons. And I think that the, the risks are clearly that there, there will be a need for more funding rather than less over the course of this year. So we could easily be talking about six or 700 billion um, of, of bonds. And that, that is by far the biggest shift in the supply panorama in uh, in the last sort of seven years since quantitative easing began in, in Europe. And it comes at a time when it's not obvious at all that the fundamentals are conducive to just clearing that. I mean, with high inflation and central banks sort of looking a little bit more hawkish in general, you know, it's not clear that people are going to want to rush in to fill that gap. And so you know, as you look, around the various big holding sectors. I mean, you know, we know who they are, their banks, their pension funds, their insurers, uh, their, their funds, the foreign sector. 
there's no there's no big story here that you'd say okay no something something's happening here that you know they, they, these guys really need more more bonds because they've got you know they're, they're they're short on liquidity or there's a regulatory story wherever it is or there's a you know, solvency story or something like that that might kind of drive you know, gains in equities back into in, into stock and in, sorry into into bonds you don't have that anywhere so the only thing that you can really that, that I can really see that pushes you know, that drives the market back towards equilibrium is the price mechanism. So we're going to need, in my opinion, still a pretty big concession. And you know, so that that is really my bottom line here. I think that you know, we, you know, we, I mean, some people, I mean, it was quite a popular trade to be short last year on the back of you know, the changing inflation dynamic and so on. It wasn't ever really validated by central banks. This year it will be. Okay. And, you know, I think that it's been slow to develop, but it's starting to develop, and I think it's got quite a long way to go. So, so that's that. High rates, they're coming. <laughs> okay, so perhaps we can just contextualize higher rates then for our listeners. You know, regular listeners will know that we've had a long-held um, target on ten-year bond yields of um, positive 0.5%. Um, we've had some pretty big moves in rates, so well, really over the last couple of weeks, but we're now only sort of 10 basis away, take 10 basis points away from that target. So um, I guess, how are you thinking about 10-year bond yields from here? Further, do you think they can go through that 0.5% or is that a kind of ceiling? Um, you know, what, what would you uh, be putting as your target for, for the next couple of months from here? Yes, key question, and um, I allow myself to be flattered that um, you know, that our, our listener listeners are actually plural, um, and of course they all know, <laughs> and of course they all know that we've been we've been banging this bearish drum for a while, and we are getting close to that target. Listen, I, th- I think you know, I mean, given what I've just said, um, I think it probably will require us to look very closely at that tar- at that target for for, for this year for. You know, for everything, of course, but I mean, in particular, you know, the the one that we talk about the most, just because you know, the, the the market benchmark of the ten year bond yield, um, I think we will be looking at that very closely. So um, now I'm not going to make an announcement on that <laughs> this time, imagine, but maybe I will. Maybe we'll be ready to do that next um, next week. All right, there you go, listeners. A little teaser to come back for next week. (laughs) On that note, we will end uh, this week here. Uh, Thank you both for joining me again. And a reminder to our listeners that if they liked today's episode, uh, don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you again next week. Bye.